Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back. We have a very special episode today. I was able to sit down and talk with Marcella Cox, who is a certified IFS therapist. She's a certified eating disorder specialist and supervisor. She's a certified body trust provider, certified mindful self-compassion teacher, and certified daring way facilitator. Now, you may not know what all those certifications mean, or maybe you do, but I can tell you that all of them are ones that I've looked into, and um, I haven't done all of them. In fact, I've done very few of them, but she really comes to this conversation with a wealth of knowledge and training and background. Her specialization is in treating disordered eating, body shame, and trauma. She's the founder of Kindful Body, a collaboration of experienced disordered eating professionals who provide online therapy and nutrition counseling throughout California. She also co-founded the IFS, Internal Family Systems, Telehealth Collective, which is a multi-state mental health group practice dedicated to providing high-quality internal family systems therapy with some really leaders in the field. So she comes to this conversation about internal family systems and eating disorders with so much to bring to the table. And as You know, if you've been following along with me, I've been really interested in this model. I'm finding it really inspiring and exciting, and I have a lot to learn still. So I got to learn from Marcella today, and it was so fun. So we cover a lot in this interview. We do cover what the internal family systems model is in more depth and how it can help you or your clients improve their relationship with food and or heal from binge eating. We talk a bit about the polarization in the health space, which is also an area of strong interest of mine. Uh, We ask the question, are we getting more entrenched in our views or are the fields of eating disorders or weight management making progress? We talk about how IFS can help us understand these polarizations that occur within professionals as well as within clients. So if you have clients or you yourself can resonate with having polarized parts like parts of you that love intuitive eating but also parts of you that still have a desire for weight loss this will help you to understand that and um, if you have those parts know that you pretty much are like all of the rest of us because most of us have these polarizations in some way shape or form so It will also talk about what IFS can offer if you're feeling hopeless about being able to heal your eating disorder or your trauma. I think it's a very hopeful discussion. I also think it's a very hopeful modality. I know I feel like that for myself for the stuff that I'm still working on healing. So yeah, we're going to talk about all that, how you can move from thinking, understanding logically, to truly feeling compassion and restoring embodiment, being able to really be in your body and feel all the things that haven't been safe to feel in the past. So it's going to be a good one. Settle in and let's get started. And just as a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as any form of professional advice. If you need a professional, please seek one out to figure out how this information applies to you and your specific situation. 
And if you are a therapist, dietitian, or helping professional who works with individuals who struggle with disordered eating, and you're looking for better ways to support your clients and empower them, and also feel supported yourself to grow as a professional, we're planning some really cool workshops and opportunities. We we ran one recently, and we're going to do that one again. Um, and we also are planning some really cool things about kind of supporting you as a professional to learn and grow in community in this really nuanced topic where there's so much to learn and so much to learn about our clients, so much to learn about ourselves, and it can be really exciting but also challenging to do alone. So if you're looking for more community in that area or some more learning opportunities, make sure that you sign up today to be the first to know because we're always offering new things and you are going to want to know about it. So sign up today. There is a link in the show notes. You can also go to drhondorp.com forward slash workshop. And there you can just sign up to be notified first with our new and exciting offerings. Also, if you are a therapist, dietitian, or helping professional and you work with people with disordered eating or who are struggling with eating and weight concerns, uh, I have a free tool for you that I had way too much fun developing. So I I developed this after a workshop we did recently. And um, to be honest, I don't exactly know how many people listen to this podcast that are professionals versus individuals. So Uh, I'll be excited to, if you are a professional listening to this podcast, feel free to shoot me an email or say hello. Um, But if you're someone who you've been working with a client and maybe a client says something like, I really like intuitive eating, but I ultimately really want to lose weight, or in your opinion, they just, they have a hard time not focusing on weight loss and you notice it kind of gets in the way of them doing what they want to do or getting in touch with their body. And as a professional, you're not necessarily sure the best ways to guide them because maybe you understand why they want to lose weight, but you're also, um, you want the best for them and you want them to build up their own self-trust, but you're not sure what to do. You might empathize with them. You might tell them the science about dieting and weight loss and um, trying to convince them to not to diet. But ultimately, you might feel a little bit stuck. So how can you help them explore what's right for them without imposing your own agenda, which tends to backfire. So I created this free step-by-step guide to walk you through my number one favorite exercise. This is based on internal family systems theory, my favorite thing. Um, And it helps you help your clients navigate this nuanced dynamic with the different parts of them that still want to lose weight. So as a professional, it's my favorite way to help clients build trust while also taking the pressure off of me as a professional to know the exact right advice to give or say. So it's a really great tool. It's a win-win. You can grab it for free and exactly how to do it at drhondorp.com forward slash parts, P-A-R-T-S. So grab it for free today at drhondorp.com forward slash parts. And if you use it with a client, make sure you email me and let me know. All right. And just as a reminder, this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. If you need a professional to guide you, please, please get one. All right, everyone, let's dive in. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I say this every time that I'm excited about my guest and I that's always true. And I'm really, really excited about today's interview. If you've been on the following my journey and the things I've been learning recently, today's interview is very in line with a lot of the things that I'm excited to learn about. Our our guest has so much expertise and knowledge and experience to bring to the table. So welcome to Marcella Cox. Um, We're going to be talking about IFS and how it applies to disordered eating, body shame, all the things that I'm passionate about. So welcome, welcome to the podcast, Marcella. Well, thank you. Um, And thank you for having me um, on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yes, me too. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about your story and how you came to doing this work. 
All right. Well, um, after college, I worked in PR and marketing communications for a tech company. And after about 10 years, had babies and and took a few years off to raise my kids. And then I decided to go back to school to become a therapist um, after doing some of my own healing work and therapy. And like so many in this field um, who treat eating disorders, I knew I wanted to work in, in the field of eating disorders because of my personal experience and my own recovery. And when I was an intern, my supervisor was an IFS therapist and she helped me begin to learn the model and conceptualize what was happening with clients from an IFS framework. And what that meant was working with people to understand the protective nature of their eating disorder versus trying to get rid of their symptoms or containing it. Um, I then went to work for a treatment program and saw the need for something beyond just skills to help clients heal. Skills are great, and but that was what we were really focused on in treatment, but they only took clients so far and they really didn't address underlying issues um, in the way that my previous work had with IFS. And so I began my train, my official training in IFS and using it with my clients. And um, I've been working with clients for more than a decade now. And even though I might integrate some other models, IFS is the way um, I, I see what's happening with clients and it's my overarching um, approach that guides my work. Um, I became certified as an IFS therapist in 2018. I've also done a lot of my own inner healing with my IFS therapist who I adore. And this has really been transformative in my own life. And it's really an honor to be here today to talk about IFS and disordered eating with you. Mm, I'm so excited. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that I'm I'm glad more people are more willing to say, yeah, I do my own work as a therapist. And I got into a lot of us get into this field, certainly myself included. That's no secret on the podcast because we had, I mean, some element of, for me, it was a big element of disordered eating and um, that, that cycle. And I'm, I'm excited that more people are, are willing to, to, admit that. And the other piece that I was going to ask about that I'm just curious, you got exposed to IFS early in your clinical training. Um, did you take to it right away? Sounds like you kind of did, but um, I'm just curious what, because I, I have angry parts that I'm, I'm mad that I wasn't exposed earlier. So I'm just curious what, what your experience was with the model. Did you love it right away or um, what, what that was like for you? Yeah, well, well, first, first of all, you know, welcome those angry parts. Right? <laughs> welcome. Yes, yes. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, I, it, it was um, really intuitive to me when I learned about IFS. And prior, prior to learning about IFS, I had studied um, and, you know, mindfulness and uh, mindful self-compassion work. And, and so it, it, some of it was familiar in some ways, you, this idea of like, really like compassion healing. Mm -hmm. um, but this idea, and we'll get into this more, but having the self energy, and that's really your healing agent, as opposed to a part of you that is meditating or, or being a compassionate friend to yourself, right? It's really the, the this, your true nature that, that is, is healing. So, and then when I went to work into treatment, it was just like, okay, skills, skills, here's the group, the DBT group, the um, different groups. And yeah. I, I was like, this is not really helping clients. I mean, it's helping them in some ways, but it's sure. not really getting them to where they need to go. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was resonated pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I find we'll get in, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but yeah, I find that it's that embodiment of, cause I had learned about self-compassion for many years and I loved Kristen Neff's work, 
and I loved lots of other models that provided me some value, but there was a, there was a missing link for me of like, uh, how do I do that? It was like this part of me that was like, be more self-compassionate and it just wasn't sticking for me. So, um, so we're going to, let's, we'll back up for a minute and just, um, can you share what, um, some background about what is the internal family systems model? And then we'll talk a little bit about how it can apply to our relationship with food. Sure. I'm happy to. So, um, the internal systems family model was developed by Richard Schwartz, or people refer to him as Dick Schwartz, uh, about 40 years ago. And um, as he was developing the model, he actually um, for some time worked at an eating disorder treatment program with clients um, who were struggling with bulimia. And he started um, with those clients and others really listening to the clients and they're talking about these parts of themselves. And sometimes he'd ask, you know, is that, is those, so tell me about that part. And they'd say, no, 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 that's actually myself. And so that, that's like kind of the, the roots of the model. And, and so he helped these clients start to unblend from the, their parts um, and relate to them from their true self, which turns out is really healing. Um, and he focused on the relationship between the parts and noticed that there were these patterns that emerged from his clients. Um, and before I get into these patterns and talking about these different parts, I'd like to just share a few, few assumptions from the model. And the first is this idea of multiplicity of mind. It, this is our natural state of mind. We all have parts. Um, doesn't mean that we have multiple personality disorder or anything like that. But, you know, when we're making a decision, you know, like a part of us might feel one way and another part of us might feel another way, right? That's an easy way to kind of see, oh, yeah, I have these different, you know, points of view, for instance, around it. Um, and everyone also has this idea of self or self energy. We normally experience as, it as an energy. Um, and this is like an undamaged core of who we are. And it can be the leader of our internal world, of our internal system. And it has these qualities and they're eight C's that they get referred to as, um, and th those qualities are compassion, curiosity, uh, calm, connectedness, confidence, courage, creativity, and clarity. Another assumption of the words. model, yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the C words, mm -hmm. is that there are no bad parts. So these parts can get wounded. They can become um, extreme, uh, forced into these different roles. They can be trapped uh, back in time and trauma, um, but they also can be unburdened and healed and released from those extreme roles. Parts also don't operate in isolation. They're part of a system, right? And so we have clusters of parts and polarizations, which we'll be talking about, um, I think, from one of your questions you sent me ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they have these webs of relationships. And in IFS, we're not, not trying to get rid of parts. Um, they're part of an internal system. And we're, we're working to, to befriend them right, from our, our true self or as a therapist, right, where we can also be, uh, our self energy is in the room and um, and we're helping them heal so they can return to their natural state with their valuable qualities. Okay. So getting back to to Dick, when he was developing the model, right, he was seeing these these different types of parts and there were three types that he was, he was noticing. Um, two types were protective parts and those are trying to either prevent pain and those ones are are called managers and then there are also these other protective parts that are called firefighters and they're trying to extinguish pain when something gets triggered within us and um and then the third type of part are exiles and these are typically younger, more vulnerable parts of ourselves that, that, that carry burdens. And so not all parts are, are burdened, but when they are, they're often extreme. And, um, and what this, this looks like, so, so you might have managers 
in you know these parts that that try and prevent pain but but some managers are just helping you run to your day-to-day life like what's on my calendar next what do I have to do right that's not burdened but mm-hmm. some of these um managers who are trying to protect you from pain being triggered can be burdened and they can look like perfectionism or those controlling parts that often you know in, with with eating issues or body image issues right they're trying to control what you your intake or how you look um people pleasing parts wanting to be liked uh caretaking uh, avoiding conflict uh obsessing all right so these are some some of these maybe more um extreme managers that we have yeah and we and also have normal to have other- potentially a bunch of them right like i'm I'm thinking about people listening and being like, oh, I have like a bunch of those. Is that bad? Right. And not only are no parts bad, but it's also um, it's okay if you resonate with a lot of those, like many of us do, including myself. So I just wanted to not to interrupt, but just to, to throw that in. Well, that's a very important, I'm glad you did interrupt and, and to say that because that having parts and these kind of parts is, it's human, right? It's, it's given, and we'll be getting into this, but given, given our culture, it's not surprising that we have these parts that want to look good and be perfect and want to control things. Um, And so, and as you said, they're not bad and it's learning how to build a relationship, right? The IFS is a relationship building model. Mm -hmm. So building a relationship with these parts and understanding them. Um, the, the other type of protective parts are these firefighters and they're they're wanting to put out the pain. So they, they react when a wound has been activated and they can often be extreme in their response. And these parts can be like uh, what we sometimes see in with disordered eating is like binging parts or purging parts or some self-harm like cutting or um, substance abuse dissociating or numbing out and once again they're not bad parts even mm-hmm. if they have negative consequence they have a, they're trying to protect you from something they have a good intention mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the third type of parts that that dick encounter were these these exiles and these are often young parts um, that carry wounds or burdens um, from trauma and they can show up as memories and some sensations, emotions, and beliefs. But they also can be shame um, from having unmet needs or lack of connection or being alone. And they're often stuck in the past. They're in our implicit memory. And what's really important about the IFS model are parts are not their wounds. Um, these parts, when they're unburdened, can be the most creative, sensitive, loving, and playful parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the the IFS model in a nutshell. And um, when we have these extreme behaviors, say like with binge eating, um, and you and I know, both know that it, that often can be triggered by restricting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there can be a physiological component but sometimes the binge eating is like it's not coming from that hunger but it's coming from something just happened that's terrible you know I broke up you know my boyfriend broke up with me or something like that happens and you know we turn we're turning towards food to like either numb numb out that pain or soothe soothe us from that pain Mm -hmm. and um and so so these these extreme parts they're, they're trying to help in some way and um, to, to help us cope with overwhelm in our lives. And, and they deserve to have some, some care and compassion and understanding. But what often happens with these extreme kind of firefighter parts is, is they are, um, we have a lot of shame about them and people judge them. And so we don't want people to know about those parts. So unlike maybe 
you know, perfectionism or trying to control, like some of those are more socially acceptable, but mm-hmm. the firefighter parts, um, yeah, aren't not. as, as acceptable, but the firefighters actually give us a little spice to life. Tell us like, quit overworking, <laughs> go watch some, go binge on TV. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they <laughs> provide some balance in our system. So they're not bad either. Right. But even though we might have shame about having these parts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But both of them can carry shame because I've like shamed myself in the past for overworking, which I think would be more of. Um, although I think, yeah, it with protective parts, as far as I know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't matter so much which one they are because some, some can kind of like be in both categories. Like I think restriction can sometimes be in both. Um, but but yeah, they can both be shamed. But I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's more shame. It's it's sometimes harder for people to see the value in their binge eating or their um, extreme drinking or other firefighter type type parts for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're right. Like restricting can be a more proactive part to like, control yourself and be lovable, right? Mm-hmm. Um well, that's the wound underneath, right? It's wanting to be lovable by looking a certain way. Yeah. And then, um, or it could be to to soothe or dissociate yourself from, from pain um, by yeah. restricting. And, and what's really important are these two questions that IFS asks, which is um, the first is, is, you know, trying to get to know what this, how this part is trying to help, like what is the intention of this part? And um, the second is what is it afraid would happen if it didn't do this, its job? So that's how we find out what the, you know, is it, is it a firefighter or a manager? Well, really it doesn't matter all that much, uh, but it, but to get to understand like, how is it trying to help you is really important because when we can, we can hear that of how it's trying to help, how hard it's been working. Often when we have enough self-energy, we we have some appreciation for how it's trying to help. And then we can hear what is it afraid would happen if it didn't do this job, then we're it it often will take us to what is it protecting, right? In that fear. Mm-hmm. or it will show up show us a pol- polarization um yeah so so in the ifs approach we don't have judgment towards these parts even if they're negative consequences for their behavior um or what they're doing um yeah. and i yeah so some some wrap-up points around this is parts make sense they're there to help us with our survival. Um, they're they're not what they do, right? That that it's not like a binging part or a purging part, but it's a part that is using this behavior as a way to help you cope. Um, they're like little subpersonalities, mm-hmm. and it's important that we heal what's underneath these extreme parts um, because they're these behaviors are unlikely to change until their wounds and pain underneath are healed. And um, IFS provides this conceptual framework that outlines a way to work with parts that are in a disordered eating system. Um, and it's a way of seeing and understanding these parts. Um, and in fact, protector parts will actually block change until the, the exiles underneath are healed. And ultimately, every part, um, when it's burdened, needs its own unburdening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I there's so much good there, and I think there's two things I want to highlight. One, I just think it's interesting in my learning about IFS and hearing you say it again, just struck me how it wasn't uncommon for like the eating disorder, disordered eating presentation was um, like. Part of the early adoption of Dick Schwartz is finding this model, which I just think, I mean, I think it fits for lots of different things, not just disordered eating and eating disorders, but um, eating disorders along with many other concerns psychologically um, can 
be very challenging to treat. And I think this can offer a lot of hope for a lot of people where they, I think that a lot of the prevailing wisdom when I was trained, both in kind of weight management and eating disorder fields was like, these are chronic conditions you'll always have to have. And I think that I was certainly personally always hoping that wasn't the case because I didn't want to struggle the way I did for as long as I did. And being many years feeling very healed up from my eating stuff, I I like, I, I just like that we're continuing to say, yeah, we can do better and people deserve better and they deserve deeper healing. Um, and then, yeah, the only other thing, every time someone, I like hearing you talk about like the characteristics of those exiles, those hurt parts, that creativity, that joy, like how incredible those parts of us are. I always get like kind of emotional in a good way. And I think that that speaks to like those parts of us that want to be seen and appreciated for who we are deep down. And so I hope that gives people hope too. So I just wanted to mention those, those things, but thank you for giving that, that overview of um, this super cool model because I love it and it's a super cool model <laughs> I agree yes um and so I want to ask one question that I just thought a lot about um for many years but I think IFS has helped me think about it in an even better way perhaps a more helpful way so um the health space we often talk about on this podcast the health space like eating disorder treatment weight management world bariatric surgery, lifestyle medicine, intuitive eating. I've been pretty fortunate to have like dabbled in all of those and there's others, right? But there's a lot of polarization. There's a lot of like, we believe this, you believe that polarization within these kind of camps of schools of thought. Um, in your experience just doing this work, do you think that that polarization has increased or is it stay the same? I'm just curious your, your, your experience of that or has it always been polarized? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Honestly, answer, I, don't, I don't know if it's more polarized. I mean, it's definitely polarized. I don't know yeah. if it's increasing. Um, I, I would say that maybe it is. What I'm yeah. am seeing is that, that each area that you're, you've mentioned seems to be becoming more entrenched in their way of thinking, which I would think would would you know as you, as you as you dig in that that then the polarization starts right mm -hmm. and so um but with some of them like with the eating disorder treatment field what I'm noticing is a shift to a non-diet weight, weight inclusive approach to care and mm -hmm. that seems to be a more more unburdened approach to care right mm -hmm. and and as is intuitive eating right mm -hmm. if, if you can really work with those parts of yourself that hold on to like the diet mentality and um unburden those parts of yourself then it's it's can lead to unburdened eating and mm -hmm. um body liberation whereas you know and this is a part talking, right? <laughs> that is holding this belief, but like the the weight loss, um, bariatric sur surgeries, right? That they they are um, kind of more entrenched in that weight normative care that the medical field is rooted in, and that our diet culture relies on. Um, you know that weight loss is the indication of health and well being. And, you know, what research is showing us is actually that's, that's not true. Um, you've probably covered on your podcast that weight loss is rarely sustained and can lead towards weight cycling. And that, that is actually, um, you know, some research shows that that actually increases weight cycling, actually increases your risk of mortality than just maintaining a stable weight. And you know, this kind of weight inclusive, uh, unburdened approach um, offers an alternative and emphasizes non-weight markers of health and well-being. And um, the focus of treatment isn't centered on body weight, um, where some 
some other interventions are in like bariatric surgery and weight loss. Um, and so the other thing about this approach and with IFS um, taking more of a weight inclusive approach to care is that it helps clients understand the impact of the internalized messages that they're responsible for their weight and that their worth is somehow tied to it, right? Because we know that's also mm-hmm. not true. Um, yeah. And that would be a legacy know, burden, right? I mean, there's absolutely. definitely probably a category of legacy burdens related to eating and body. I've been thinking about that because I, yeah, it's in for the listeners, there's burdens that we get from our own experience, but there's also legacy burdens that we absorb from our world. Um, yeah. And yeah. just the way yeah. that the beliefs and we often say like diet culture is, you know, like the water and we're the fish and we don't even, well, we know we're swimming in it. Many of us know now, but <laughs> you don't always realize that it. it's just the way we think about things. So yeah, that weight normative care. So Absolutely. Um, and I was going to talk more about uh, cultural burdens and, and these burden these burdens that our parts can take on, right? Um, and But before we, we jump there to your next question, I, w- I just also want to say that, that, you know, having a more weight-inclusive model of care, um, it, it makes space to welcome parts of clients that might be grieving the loss of their thin privilege or angry that their body didn't change the way that they wanted it to, or that this is their body, even though they don't want this to be their body, right? Like mm-hmm. that it, it's not, it's not subscribing that you have to change your body in order to have healing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've found like, yeah, IFS can help understand the polarization within the individual because there's lots of parts. Like I think a common polarization that I've noticed in clients recently is just that like, I love maybe an intuitive eating or non-diet approach. This is feeling a lot better. My binge eating's improved. And there is still a part that's like, but I still need to lose weight. And we're able to kind of explore that without judgment. We're able to notice that polarization and it's really powerful for them, but it's also cool as the professional because I've always kind of been of the mindset of autonomy granting and building self-trust. But I think this offers a really cool way to do it of we're kind of going to explore, we're going to listen to each part that's polarized and um, it's uh, often takes the, the pressure off of the professional to like have the right answer because I'm not in their body. Right. And so I can, um, so I I think that's really cool. And I also think it's really cool because it shows, I think why perhaps the camps get polarized because I think when many of us have, once we realize we've been hurt by diet culture and, you know, we notice people are really hurt by like weight normative care (laughs) and, then we get really fired up and then we have parts of ourselves that are like, I got to do the activism work and I got to, I got to, you know, leading with that, which is a protector part. And not that that, that part's really valuable and, and awesome, but sometimes leading with that, I've seen a lot of shaming go from all sides. And I think most people have, if they've been in this field professionally and, um, we're not shaming the parts that are shaming, but we're just saying, Hmm, is that really going to, help move us all forward and heal. Yeah, yeah, I, I love what everything you're saying, right? And that this model is so client-centered and um, really allowing allowing clients to get to know the, um, their parts from a place of curiosity and compassion, um, right? It, it, it allows for you to explore those parts that want to still lose weight, even though, you know, the science does, it won't work. Right. Um, yeah. And it isn't, it's non-pathologizing. Like this is not a problem. Our parts are not a problem ever. Right. Right. And I think most of us, I certainly can relate with like a part that wants to do something, even though maybe I know logically it's not the best plan. Like I can't think of a 
I'm sure there's lots of examples, but like, and then you can have compassion and even just notice our, our therapist parts that are like, I get really excited about science, but I've learned over the years as many people have like science isn't science is awesome, but it's not always necessarily that convincing because it's not actually helping people get in tune with their body, like scientists, science is in our head. So anyway, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Unless it's the science of embodiment and we're, we're practicing. (laughs) There you go. Yes. I do think, yeah, something about IFS helped me get my body better than other practices have before. So it's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us more about what IFS can do to help us reduce these polarizations or these parts that fight within us or can fight? Yeah, absolutely. IFS gives us a great way to work with polarizations, whether they're internal or external. And you mentioned, you know, that that these different systems, you know, weight inclusive care, weight normative care, right? That can be polarized. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why it, it is such an effective model to work with polarizations is it helps us get to know each side of the polarization. And when we do that, just like with, with parts of ourselves, we get to know what it's protecting underneath. And when we're working with clients and their parts, it's really important to not get polarized with one part or another when working with it. Like you were sharing the example of working with a client who still wanted to lose weight, right? You weren't polarized and saying, you know, you just have to do intuitive eating and let's not not address the part that wants to lose weight. So you you yeah. brought that compassionate curiosity towards towards that part of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I, I often see in, in my practice is clients coming in saying, I want to get rid of the part that turns to binge eating, but let's not look at the part that restricts um, that's yeah. socially yes. acceptable. Right. So we have these these common polarizations, right? Parts that want to lose weight, parts that want to have a more peaceful relationship with your body, parts that comply, parts that rebel and want to just do what they want to do. Um, Parts that want to really take care of your body and parts that that neglect or abuse it. So we see these common polarizations or especially around disordered eating. And and, um, what happens is when these parts become more extreme, um, even while they're trying to help the client, right? They're trying to help the client, but then the polarizations get more entrenched, as I was saying, and th- things kind of get stuck. Mm-hmm. And when things are more stuck, it also prevents the client from accessing their core wisdom and compassion. Um, and as I said, we we don't want to get polarized with our clients' parts. And this is why it's important for us to know, um, you know, do our own work and know our own biases. And um, yes, it's it's super important. Um, and you you had touched about talk, talked about burdens and touched on them. Mm-hmm. And some of our, the burdens are from our personal experience of trauma that we've had or attachment wounds, boundary violations, but others are from our culture and our diet and wellness culture tell us that our weight represents our worth and it profits off our insecurities and normalizes disordered eating and assumes everyone wants to be in a smaller body and marginalized, marginalized folks in larger bodies. And these burdens are really toxic energy or beliefs that are absorbed from others. Um, You know, for cultural burdens, they're absorbed from our society, right? Mm -hmm. And we've all been affected by these these cultural legacy burdens. And, you know, as you said, it's, it's, it's like the water that we swim in as fish. We're not aware of it until we can start to really see how it's showing up. Um, what I often will encourage folks to do is just to take some time to write the things down that you say to yourself about food or your body, ask what parts hold these beliefs, where do the messages come from and what's the impact on your relationship to food, your body, um, and how do they affect your life? 
and there there's where we start to find the roadblocks to body liberation right this freedom to just be in your body as it is um but these these burdens you know they actually do affect how bodies are treated these cultural legacy burdens in our diet culture treat affect how bodies are treated um and the you know, it, they can be seen in like systemic racism, patriarchy, sexism, materialism, sizeism, healthism, heterosexualism, homo and, and transphobia. And they make their way into these health spaces that you've identified, right? Mm -hmm. And they often are the foundation of implicit bias. So our culture, we have what's known as weight bias and it associates larger bodies with things like laziness or lack of discipline and smaller bodies with self-control but this actually has roots in racism and anti-blackness as we're learning more and more and um and it's not what we believe it's not that you know what we've been told is that we're responsible for our body size and it's just based on our personal choices of our diet and exercise it it doesn't look at genetics and other factors like social determinants of health um, that can affect body size. Like if we don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables or safe neighborhoods to do any physical activity in. Mm -hmm. So this weight bias leads to weight stigma. Um, and um, this can have a big impact on someone's relationship to their body um, and, you know, it can, we can develop these really self-critical, self-objectifying parts that continue to do harm long after someone experiences weight stigma. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, this, this, this is really important to take a look at these cultural burdens mm -hmm. and how they're showing up in your in, in your system with your parts around your relationship with food and your body. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine as someone who has a lot more experience doing this work, like there's probably so much healing that can occur as we unburden these different, there's a lot of cultural burdens that these parts absorb. And I just wonder, I've, think in a in a less ifs way i've done that work for for quite a while but i could see it being really cool and powerful relatively quickly is that was that your experience yeah yeah it, it, it feels like it it's um untangling a knot in some ways you know like mm -hmm. we have all these different threads coming in and um you know, there, there, there are these, these pieces that are, are the cultural burdens, but then like our families and systems also believe this, some of these messages. And so it can be really scary for clients to, um, they can, they can feel like they're in a bind, right? Like I, I can see it. I want to change. I want to not subscribe to this anymore. This is, you know, I, I have, and I have some community that supports me in this, but then maybe my partner doesn't, maybe my, you know, that, that my, if my body changes, is that going to be okay um, with these people? And, and, um, you know, we can really understand that and hold that with some compassion and um, help our clients, you know, see the cost in their lives of, of yeah. holding on to these beliefs. Um, yeah. And, and they're ultimately the ones that make the decision, right? Yeah, I don't see the cost, agenda. See the cost, but also see the productive value thus far. And like versus like, I see, I always think of like a, the book I read a long time ago, Hunger by Roxanne Gay. And just talking about like, even Roxanne Gay, who's like really feminist and just like, I want to love my body so badly. And I have this other part, right, that wants to pursue weight loss in some way and just normalizing, like, of course, right? Like, of course, none of these parts are bad. And 
course, yeah, it, it's not like bad to have any of these thoughts or beliefs. It's because I think that that's accidentally because of how culture is like a lot of times controlling. We'll just change your thought, and it's like, yeah, it's not. If it were that easy, then yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, the the benefit of unburdening from this is then um, one of the trainers uh, that I've taken some trainings with, her name is C Sykes. There's a ninth C and that's choice. So mm-hmm. when we can unburden, then we can have choice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of, of how we want to eat, how we want to live, who we want to have in our lives. Um, yeah, It gives us choice. Nice. Yeah, really empowering, which is the opposite of trauma, right? Where we yeah. don't, we feel powerless. Yeah, this is my only option. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So yeah. should we shift focus a bit to talk about like what we really want people to know about healing from trauma and pain? And we've kind of already touched on perhaps where your past experience of therapy, if it didn't get you the result you wanted, maybe there's some hope and and having a different experience. What would you like people to know about that? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I, I want people to know that healing from trauma, just like disordered eating is 100% possible. Um, and one of the reasons, you know, as I was thinking about this question, one of the reasons why people might not have gotten the result they wanted is perhaps they didn't get permission from their protectors to go to w- wounded parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, in IFS therapy, if if we just bypass our protectors, these these there can be backlash within the system, or you know mm-hmm. parts can become more extreme um, mm-hmm. because it, there wasn't honoring of that protective system, there wasn't befriending of that protective system, and and permission to go to to the exiles, and so it's important to spend enough time in the protective system, really understanding, really befriending, getting to know these, these parts of yourself. Um, and, and when they feel that you really understand and get them and have compassion for them, they're going to show you the, what they're protecting. Um, and so maybe, you know, some, some therapies just go in too quick. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of like EMDR where often, you know, you're just moving along and this content is coming up and maybe you haven't, um, negotiated with those protectors, um, and they, they are still think that they need to do their job. Yeah. Um, I think that makes me think of just, yeah, experiences where, you know, some people in therapy, when they experience like tearfulness or crying, they feel a sense of relief and, and feel better, but that's not always the case. And it actually, it's, it, I've rethought this, but I just want to share this in case it resonates with anyone, this idea of like people that would maybe emote and cry, but still have a, a lot of, they wouldn't feel better after. And we'd kind of unpack that they were still judging themselves very harshly for crying. It's like that protective critic was just like, Mm-mm. like, I didn't give you permission to go there yet. And they didn't experience that like release of that emotion crying can sometimes experience. So I just wanted to mention that to people, because I think it's like what exactly you just said. Yeah. And I think it's pretty common, right? Like, yeah, because we, we could, could also have a manager that really wants us to get relief, right? And takes us to the therapist's office and like, okay, let's go do this. But there might be other parts that are like, no, 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 no. Um, yeah. The overwhelm yeah. of this is going to be too much. My secret might be out. Uh, other parts might get triggered. People will judge me. My therapist might not, you know, they might be judging me or they can't handle my pain. Uh, yeah. So they have their their concerns and we really need to spend time and understand their concerns before going to what's underneath. Definitely. And I I just want to add, uh, Frank Anderson, is, he's a, a trainer, a IFS trainer, and he has this quote that trauma blocks love and love heals trauma. Mm. And trauma also blocks, blocks us access to our self-energy. Um, and it's actually that loving presence that heals the trauma. And so with IFS, we learn how to unblend our parts so we can be in relationship with them for, with the self-energy so we can heal that trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And what's the main thing you wish people know about healing from a disordered relationship with food? Yeah, well, given that we live in this diet culture, how do we not have a disordered relationship with food? Mm -hmm. um, so on IFS, we see these this disordered eating behaviors. They serve a protective function for clients to yeah, help them cope from past trauma or navigate this cultural bias and harm that we touched on. Mm -hmm. And um, these protectors are diligently trying to keep clients safe by preventing or soothing pain. And what I've seen in, in my practice is since food is typically accessible when clients are young, they learn early how to regulate the overwhelm in their nervous system by using disordered eating behaviors like restricting or binging. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I want um, people to know is like we internalize these, these messages from our diet and wellness culture and um, that about food in our bodies. And, and so it's important to also address those internalized messages, those burdens that, that these parts hold. And lastly, and we touched on this, what often gets overlooked in treatment is restoring embodiment. Embodiment and IFS is such a great way. It's it's a more an embodied practice, right? Like, how do you feel that compassion? It's not just thinking that compassion, right? How do you feel that compassion? How do you yeah. notice it showing up in our body? You know, parts show up in our body. Like, it can be just a sensation. It can be. Uh, yes, there can be thinking parts in our head, but often these parts are in, in our body. And so restoring embodiment um, is like the foundation of, of my approach um, in helping clients heal. Um, and embodiment is the subjective experience of like what's going on in my body versus like the objective experience of how my body looks. Objective experience is more like body image, whereas the subjective is like, what's what's happening inside? Um, and our culture, you know, tells us to suppress the signals that are happening inside of our body and give deference to our mind, um, and trauma and, and disordered eating disrupt embodiment. Um, our cultural legacy burdens encourage us to objectify and disconnect from our bodies. So it makes sense that healing happens when we can reconnect with our bodies and learn to retrust to trust them again yeah yeah powerful stuff yeah so hopefully we've convinced everyone at <laughs> least give it a try and <laughs> the ifs model and we'll um we'll go through our, our standard motivation questions now but we'll come back and, and make sure we share some different um things you have going on in, in terms of different options people might have for trying out some of these healing modalities um but moving to our motivation question. So what is um, one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior, like you enjoy it, find it challenging or satisfying in its own right. Yeah, well, uh, I would say, I would say um, my work. Mm -hmm. I really like my work, mm -hmm. even though it's sometimes challenging. Um, I yeah. find it really satisfying. I find fulfillment helping others um so I would say my work I have nice. motivation yeah well you came to it um sounds like you had a different career and came to it from a like yeah that, what, what am I trying to say like uh I don't know like came came by it honestly it sounds like it called to you yeah yeah, yeah. it really did very cool um, and the next question is our from a should to a choose to. So an example of a behavior that was always a should for you that maybe you struggled to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently, either because you value it, it's part of your identity, even if maybe you don't always love it. Yeah, I would say my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. So I, as I mentioned, I you know used to teach mindfulness and mindful self-compassion and it was you know, practice that I enjoy to practice my, you know, self-compassion meditation. Um, mm -hmm. But as I've, uh, my work has more focused on IFS and 
checking in with my own parts and you know the compassion naturally arises mm -hmm. when I'm with my parts and um have have some self-energy to be in relationship with them it with IFS meditation naturally flows and it's just a a joy really mm -hmm. to check in with myself every day normally in the morning you know yeah. it might be five minutes it might be 20 minutes it's it just depends on the day but that is um it's now I choose to yeah that's so cool and I can definitely relate to that I'm finding more hope that I might be a consistent meditator because I am finding similar experiences the IFS meditations I find like I can access that self-energy it can be sort of like a really reinforcing energy um and I have taken MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction I've tried to consistently meditate and I have not had success and so dabbled um so yeah there's something and I think and the other thing that I think for anyone listening to I think for me I have a doing part that really struggles with meditation because I'm not doing anything and um I found you can do IFS I've had some pretty revelatory IFS meditations while I was like doing the dishes or doing other things so I'm not necessarily but like that part of me that wanted to be doing it allowed me to still access that so I guess you could do that with other forms of meditation too but for someone that's like oh, I can't slow down enough you may not have to to dabble with this different way of thinking about things so yeah just figured I'd share that that's pretty cool that that doing part of you gave you enough access to self-energy that you could work with your other parts while that one was still active it just goes to show the power of the model mm -hmm. yeah it was pretty interesting I was like what do you know <laughs> um and then a main part of our mission here on the podcast is to help more people reclaim trust for their body with their bodies so they can live more courageously and connected lives can you share um, an example or two of where having more body trust has allowed you to be more courageous or connected in your life? Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, and what, what I found uh, is that when we can be more embodied, we can be more of ourselves, right? It gives us permission to be more of ourselves, to be authentically who we really are. And and it's been super cool and like my healing journey and being more embodied. Um, it's, it's made a huge shift in my friendships. Mm -hmm. um, like less of that people pleasing. Will they like me? Right. It's like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And, and there are parts of my friends that might really like parts of me and there are parts of my friends that might not like parts of me and parts of me that might not like parts of my friends, but yeah. um it just, there's just more presence when we can be more embodied. Um, and like more flexibility I'm hearing too. Like, yeah, to be one way of being you or them and yeah. Yeah. And, and that takes courage to show up as yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that, that self-energy, that see of courage to say yeah this is who I am it does that's well said it's even as it's like you're never I think that's the thing I'm grappling with a lot lately that just keeps coming up I have to keep learning the lesson like you're never there and that's okay <laughs> like you can become more healed and like you said it's kind of like can feel not like one time you're healed but but yeah it still takes courage to show up as yourself but but it can be, I'm hearing from you, even more connected and, and authentic and feel a lot better. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about times where you've shown up um, in relationship and you're not yourself, like, how does that connection feel? Yeah. And you're like, do they even, they don't even know me. <laughs> they don't even know me. That's right. Yeah. It's, not yeah. real, it's not like intimate true connection um in the way well in the way that my parts long for right my parts long for that that yeah. real connection with others yeah that that's connection. Awesome. yeah I, I don't think anyone's gonna regret it's sort of like sometimes with like 
the diet culture stuff. I don't think anyone really regrets like learning about all of that and learning to move away from diet culture, but sometimes it's like, oh, it's hard to look at, but this self-trust, like you don't regret it. <laughs> you don't regret doing this work, even though it can be painful, obviously at, at times, but um, it's, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a journey, you said? It's a, or, it's a fabulous journey. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, I'm sure we could continue to talk all day. This has been so fun. Um, but tell people, you know, I will at the beginning of this read some of what you're doing, but tell people where they can learn more about you, connect with you and hear about some of the exciting opportunities you have coming up or, or, or currently. Sure, sure. Uh, so I um, have a group practice in California called Kindful Body. And we're a collaboration of eating disorder therapists and um, nutrition counselors. And we provide weight inclusive care. Um, we're all IFS informed at the practice. And um, they can find us at our website, kindfulbody.com. I also uh, co-founded the IFS Telehealth Collective, which is a multi-state um, group practice that provides IFS true to the model. We're in six states um, and people can find us at IFS Therapy Online or the IFS Telehealth Collective. We do have um, some social media for the IFS Telehealth Collective on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then I'm working on some online courses and some in-person retreats. And so people can find those at marcellacox.com, my website. Okay, uh, awesome. And those are more geared towards individuals looking for healing, correct? The courses? And more towards individuals, yeah. yeah. And, and in my group practice, Kindful Body, I do uh, for people looking for supervision on IFS and um, okay. eating issues, uh, do supervision, consultation. Uh, awesome. for, for professionals there too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure being on the podcast. Thanks for, thanks for having me. You got it. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. Please review from a mom's podcast. Make something for my mom's podcast please thank you thank you for tuning in today your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here despite the title of this podcast many of our topics are not always easy change is hard and let's face it life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable that's why i'm grateful grateful for you and your willingness to listen learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.